As we turn our attention to the scripture this morning, we're reading from Ezra chapter 3, which is the return of the exiles from Jerusalem, and I'll be reading selected verses. When the, seven months, when the seventh month came, and the Israelites were in the towns, and the people gathered together in Jerusalem, then Jeshua, son of Zodak, with his fellow priests, and Zerubbabel, son of Shelatiel, and his kin set out to build the altar of the God of Israel, to offer burnt offerings on it, as prescribed in the law of Moses, the man of God. They set up the altar on its foundation because they were in dread of the neighboring peoples, and they offered burnt offerings upon it to the Lord morning and evening, and they kept the festival of booths as prescribed and offered the daily burnt offerings by number according to the ordinance as required for each day. And after that, the regular burnt offerings and the offerings at the new moon and all the sacred festivals of the Lord and the offerings of everyone who made a freewill offering to the Lord. When the builders laid the foundation of the temple of the Lord, the priests in their vestments were stationed to, the praise, to praise the Lord with trumpets and the Levites, the son of Asaph, with cymbals according to the directions of King David of Israel, and they sang responsively, praising and giving thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever toward Israel. And all the people responded with a great shout when they praised the Lord, because the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid. But many of the priests and Levites and heads of the families, old people who had seen the first house on its foundations, wept, with a loud voice when they saw this house, though many shouted aloud for joy, so that the people could not distinguish the sound of the joyful shout from the sound of the people's weeping, for the people shouted so loudly the sound was heard far away. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Well, we're in the second week of our sermon series. We're tracing, as you recall, uh, the experience of the Jews as they came back from exile, from this period of being forced from their homeland, as they watched their captors take the holy things of the temple and, and carry them away as loot. And then the temple, the place where God lived, was destroyed, absolutely razed to the ground. The loss of the tragedy, which is known as the exile, can hardly be overstated. So last week, we talked about just how deeply that loss was felt among the people. And today, we're going to talk about the joy of their return when they get to come back to Jerusalem, which, in a way, really was not an end of a story in the exile. It was the beginning of a new story for them. Today we rejoice that they were able to return to Jerusalem. So according to the story of Ezra, it was 56 years that they spent in exile. There are different dates on that. Somewhere in that 50 to 70 year range, they spent in a foreign land, and then they, a number of them, not all of them, were able to return. And the first thing they did, as we read the scripture this morning, you remember, they built the altar and they began to offer sacrifices again to their God. That was the, the part that drew them into that space again before they built the church. 
I mean, that would be interesting for us, right? If, if faith was no longer here and we returned back, we might build a building first because we like things like air conditioning, right? Or, or indoor toilets and things like that, but not them. They actually built the altar first, began offering those sacrifices, and then according to Ezra, about seven months later, then they began to lay the foundations of the building that would become known as the Second Temple. For those who are fascinated by details, you can find so many parallels between the effort to reconstruct the temple and the effort that was made to construct the first temple. It's fascinating. Clearly, there was an effort made by these returning exiles to recreate what they had lost. And remember, we're looking at this story through the lens of what we've experienced, trying to understand, well, what clarity can we gain as we return, right, from a season, maybe not of exile, but certainly being apart from one another, what can we learn from their experience that might inform our own? This rebuilding, as Ezra tells the story, elicited sounds of praise. The text tells us that that different parts of the worshiping community, some of them raised trumpets and others cymbals. And there were shouts of joy to the Lord as they returned from exile. And I was trying to think about what, what experience have I had, maybe even here in this holy space, that was similar uh, this year for Good Friday, if, if you were around for Good Friday, we did something a little bit different. So before the pandemic, Good Friday was an evening experience, and when you walked into the darkened sanctuary, you will remember that we had a, a big cross that lays out here right in the center aisle. And as a part of our worship service, we come forward, we take the little pieces of black paper where you have written whatever it is that stands as a barrier between you and God, and then you nail that to the cross, and we would do that together as a congregation. And then March 2020 happened, and it wasn't possible for us to do that. And so we provided that experience first on a live stream so that you could watch that happen, and then last year we allowed you to come from 6 a.m. to 6 p.m., the cross was here, and you nailed your pieces of paper uh, to the cross, and then we live-streamed the raising of that and setting it in, in this hole right here in the chancel. And so I took the early morning shift from about 6 to 10 on Good Friday this year, and it was really fascinating to me that many of you, as you came in, it was the first time you had been in this building in over a year. And your response was just like those who were returning from exile. You had a, <clears throat> excuse me, you had a response where you were so joyful. And you almost wanted to skip down the aisle to nail your black piece of paper to the cross. But then the tears would overwhelm you. And <clears throat> I sat usually back there in the back and you would come and share with me that you were so happy to be back in this space. But it was also sad because the poignancy of what we had been through. And really at that point, if you remember on Good Friday, we didn't know how that was going to end. It, it was the loss of that was so painful. So there was this mixture of joy and sorrow in your experience that was so overwhelming that all you could do was cry. 
And as you shared that experience with me or allowed me to share that experience with you, we were just all reminded that sometimes the feelings that we have in those moments are so powerful, we don't even know what we're feeling. We have elements of joy and excitement. We also have elements of pain and loss. It's all in there together. And so that's the experience that came back to my mind as I read this biblical story about the exiles returning. And I was hoping that maybe through their experience of coming back and raising shouts, shouts, shouts of joy and calling out on their trumpets, playing their cymbals, and yet those who had seen the temple before, that's what the scripture says, those who had worshipped there before, they also wept aloud. And it mixed together. These sounds of joy and sorrow were so interwoven that you couldn't tell the difference between a shout of joy and a wail of sorrow. Have you heard this statement that you can't step in the same river twice? I wonder if that's the experience that they were having. They couldn't step in the same river twice. They wanted so deeply to return to the place that rooted them in their relationship with God. And yet, when they got there, what they realized was, it's just not the same. It's just not the same. And so they're excited, of course they are. But they also felt sorrow. Of course they did, right? You can come back to this familiar space because you, friends, are more fortunate than the exiles, right? They had no building to come back to. And if this was a building that you remember before March 2020, there are so many elements that look familiar to you. The altar furniture is still the same. The carpet is still pink, right? It, it reminds us of things that have happened in this space, weddings, funerals, probably for some of you lock-ins, things like that. I mean, it's home for you. And, and you come back and it, it's familiar, but it's not the same. It can't be the same. Because there are new friends and faces that have come among us since March 2020. I'm looking at one of our families right there and another one with Lena. And Actually, it, this is fascinating to me, but during the season of pandemic, we've had more first-time guests come to our church and want to belong and connect with us than any time in my seven years as your senior pastor. And so you come back to a familiar space if you were with us before, but there are new friends, right? New faces. Different people sit next to you on the pew. Maybe somebody else sits in your seat. <gasps> oh, my goodness, right? It, it is, and you say, yeah, it's just not the same. It's just not the same. Well, they were experiencing the same thing as they returned from exile, we also have to acknowledge with grief that some of our longtime friends have left the church during this season of pandemic for any variety of reasons. And most painfully, at least for me, there are many that I don't know. I don't know if they have begun to attend another church or if they're not attending church at all. For those I've been able to reach out to, I just don't ever hear back from them. And you have to know that as a pastor, 
Oh, that is so painful. I would so much rather, please hear me, friends, so much rather bless you into another congregation if this cannot be home for you than to have you wander around without a church home. I, I just want you to have church. And if this can't be church for you, I want you to have that somewhere that blesses you. But I don't want you to be without it. And those are the, the ones that I'm most concerned about. I'm actually so happy for those who found a different home. Good for them. But I know there are many, and we grieve their loss. We wonder, where are they? We haven't seen them. Are they coming back? Beyond the loss of familiar faces and friends, the reality of March 2020 is not the reality of the church anymore. There really was a shift. And, and I would say that it was probably happening before the pandemic. For those of you who are in different areas of commerce, you probably know this as well. The pandemic did not cause a lot of the trends that we saw in the different ways that people shopped and the different ways that people spent time and those kinds of things. It kind of accelerated some of those things. Well, the same is true for church. It really, really accelerated a vast difference between who faith was before the pandemic and who we're being pushed to be now. And so if you feel a little struggle in that, that that's a real thing. You see, before the pandemic, the life of church was you just added another program and more people would come. So much so that when you look at the calendar of a church before March 2020, it would fill a whole page and then, you know, have the little arrow to be continued. There were so many things, so many activities, so many groups, so much. Well... That was struggling, and we were struggling with it even before the pandemic. But friends, after the pandemic, that is just not the way church has to be, can be, will be, because of the reality that, that being away from each other now has made us have to choose every single thing that we do together and lowering the number of those things so that we can focus more clearly on the ones where we gain energy and traction. Again, that was happening before the pandemic, but it certainly has been accelerated through it. It's just, it's just different. Now, doing a few things really well through the lens of clear mission and vision means that not everyone's gonna be attracted to this particular congregation, but those that are, are much more likely to stick because they understand what they're coming to be a part of. It's just true. We can no longer be everything to everyone. Finally, this is the part of the transition that I have felt. Perhaps some of you have felt, I'd love to have some conversation about this. But the task of leadership before March 2020 and the task of leadership after, and particularly in this season of return, or recovery as we're calling it, it is 180 degrees different. That has been such a stretch for me, and perhaps those of you in positions of leadership have felt that as well. You see, before the pandemic, the task of leadership was to uphold a stable structure so that change happened incrementally and with plenty of lead time. You never wanted to hear from people, wait a minute, what happened? I didn't know about that. Well, guess what? In the pandemic, you can't help but hear that. <laughs> Because you know what the time of pandemic in terms of leadership meant? You change, and then you change again, 
and then you change again. And if you haven't been a part of a church for six months, you come back and it's completely different because they've pivoted five times in that season. And so the task of leadership took a 180 degree turn in this season. Now the task of leadership is to imagine a future that the rest of the congregation, even those of us in leadership, cannot see yet. You know, have you heard the phrase, we're building the plane as we fly it? Well, <laughs> we are, still. And, and it, is, it is really hard to be in that seat of leadership, to be able to say, we're going to change, and then we're going to change again. <laughs> and then we're going to change again, because the reality is changing just that quickly, and I don't think that is going to change. <laughs> you know? What's certain in life? Death and taxes and the change. That, that's just going to happen because the reality of our world continues to change. So, you know, last week I told you in this experience of exile, it was spoken about in so many of the Old Testament passages, in the Psalms, and that's the one we looked at last week, in the prophets, we looked at Jeremiah 29 last week, well, so this week I want to take us to Jeremiah 31 and hear how he reflects on the new covenant that God is going to offer to the people. This is Jeremiah 31, verses 31 through 34. The days are surely coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant. Did you hear that? Uh, for people who had lived under covenant law and covenant relationship with God for millennia... <gasps> Oh no, you're going you're gonna to change where I have to sit on Sunday morning? It's a new covenant, friends. Jeremiah says, The days are surely coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. It will not be like the covenant that I made with their ancestors. When, beautifully enough, I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. And God is remembering that that was a good covenant. It was full of blessing and deliverance and restoration and reconciliation. Although, there is this piece added in here, a covenant that they broke. <laughs> Though I was their husband, says the Lord. But this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my law within them. Okay, Not on stone tablets. Not necessarily in one particular location of the temple. I will put my law within them and I will write it on their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people do you have any idea what kind of change that represents that is 180 degrees different than when they left that temple in ruins 180 degrees then the scripture goes on, No longer shall they teach one another or say to one another, Know the Lord. For they shall all know me. From the least of them to the greatest, says the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more. Wow. Isn't that amazing? What a, a beautiful promise. But friends, notice this. If you're stuck in the way that promise had to be, because you remember how it was before, you're going to miss it. You will. 
And so Jeremiah is encouraging them to allow this to be a new covenant, a new covenant. Do you hear the promise in Jeremiah's words? So let me offer to you maybe just a little bit of insight. What was waiting for them and what is waiting for us as we return isn't something that can be properly defined, okay? It's more incubated within us. It's something that we hold. And in each new situation that we encounter, then that comes to life for us. It isn't something that's found in structure or hierarchies or nomination slates or ad council meetings or those places where we found it before. No, you don't find it there. Actually, now it's released when we serve. And for those of you who have engaged the places and ways that we have served during the pandemic, that's what you've discovered, is that that really is what propels us forward. It doesn't depend on a vote, right? It's, it's life that comes when we serve in the name of Jesus Christ. And it isn't found in the pull of nostalgia or the past. It's more uncovered or discovered as we trust God's leading into the future. So friends, what I would offer to us this morning is that the return is beautiful. It is a gift of grace that God allowed for that people who had been carried away in change to return to the place that was sacred to them. But it is not the same. So we return to the hope of a new covenant, a new expression of our life together, the possibility that we can truly know God. That was the promise of Jeremiah. All of us, from the least to the greatest, Jeremiah says, and that in that knowing, we will find a way to receive the life-giving promises of God. Amen.